How's everybody doing? All right, I know we're getting a little late start, so very Miami night, very rainy night. Uh, one of the storytellers is not going to be able to make it, just kind of rained in. So we got three tonight. We have the terrible three tonight coming up. Uh, it should be fun. Thanks for coming out. This is uh, going to be the 31st one that's going to go out on the podcast. So thanks a lot, ladies and gentlemen, for coming out and supporting. Um, just go to UncleScotchy.com if you want to check out some of the old ones, If you, especially if you get hurt and you're laid out and you can't do shit you just want to listen to somebody talk about some other stuff. It's pretty good content. Also, give it up for Breckenridge Bourbon for having us. Cheese Stand Alone is awesome food. Ladies and gentlemen, and give it up for Bar Nancy for consistently providing a safe place to get hammered and listen to stories, as everybody likes to do. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, I had somebody drop out, and then uh, this guy's become a part of the night in a, in a lot of cool ways. And he's also one of my favorite storytellers, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give it up for Mitch Grossfinger, ladies and gentlemen. Come on up. All righty. Thank you, whoever said that. Thank you. That was an interesting opening to terrible, terrible three. Now this is a treacherous three. We had to make some damage on a rainy night. All right, now, oh, all right, now this story is actually I'll just go handheld. Actually, this story right here is the story of how I got the nickname "The White Girl Whisperer" at my job. <laughs> Catchy title, I know, right? Yeah, give it up for that. For those who don't know, I'm actually not from Miami. I actually grew up in Plantation, Florida, which is a city I hate to tell people because when I tell them I'm from Plantation, people tell me all of a sudden 12 years of slave just pops in their mind. So I just say for Lauderdale, but I'm from Plantation, lived here since 2017. And I'm originally, I'm actually a security officer. And um, around this time, the story happened. I was already settled in Miami. I was working security in South Beach. Um, if you ever go to, it was like this uh, luxury condo right off the causeway. Now, for those who aren't familiar with South Beach and how South Beach people are, they're like a the people there are like a mixture between ratchet and high maintenance, or as I like to call it, or as I like to call it high, or as I like to call it uh, high ratchet. You know, they're like either stuck up or fucked up, one of the two. Here's how I know that because one time I had a pack of cookies, I was on a I was walking across the street, and I saw this guy laying down. He had Gatorade. He had uh, Pringles. And I was going to be like, hey, I'm not really going to eat these. You want these cookies? He was like, no, nah, man, you can have that. I'm good here. I'm like, you lazy son bitch. Like, I was trying to give these cookies out of good as my heart. You don't want my cookies? You too good for my goddamn cookies, you lazy-ass bum? I was like, I, I, I'm sorry. Flashback. But this, <laughs> but this story happened. Uh, we had a new tenant at the condo I worked at. The tenant was in 1001. Now, since this is being recorded and this is going to be on a podcast, I'm going to call this person C. Now, C was a white woman, about like this tall, um, skin like that, actually, and uh, brown hair, brown eyes, you know, nice body, you know, like kind of like a doll or whatever, you know, like perky booty and nice legs, had the V right here and shit, perky titties, you know, like they took a Xanax or some shit like that, all happy and shit, all nipples all out, like, like popping at you, like tune in Tokyo, some shit like that. I'm just describing her just to tell the story. I'm not being a perv here now. 
I'm just, tell, I'm just trying to give you a picture. I'm trying to tell a story here. Now, um, the first time I met her, now, like, if you ever Google her or whatever, you see that she is a beautiful woman. By all popular standards, she's a very beautiful woman. She knows somebody. She's uh, what they call a socialite. Her father comes from money. So, you know, she knows people. I mean, I'm not going to say who she knows, but I'll just say one of them thought her body was a wonderland, that type of motherfucker. That's who, she, that's who people she fucked around with. Not like fuck around with, but she knew, you know what I mean? And um, that's the Google version of who she was. The version I had to deal with. Now, picture Samara from The Ring came out of the TV wearing a short skirt, spaghetti strap dress, and some high heel pumps. That's what I had to deal with. And the way I met her was she was like going back and forth from the lobby to management to outside the building, inside the building, crying about something. Something was dirty and she was getting all like edgy. This was before the pandemic. She was getting all edgy about germs and stuff like that and she was trying to wire some money. She was trying to call someone to wire some money, but she was pretty much half damn naked. No titty, no, no bra on. Had them shits popping out, telling my tune in, tune in, like, no, 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 no. And I'm just like trying to like stay focused. I'm at the guard, I'm at the gate, I mean, I'm at the front door. I'm just like this, just trying not to pay attention. She walks over to me, and me and her kind of talk for some reason. Uh, she seemed, out of everybody in the whole building, she seemed to be a lot calmer talking with me. The manager of the building saw that, and he was like, you know what, Mitchell, the entire day, keep an eye on that woman. I was like, what? I was like, no, just, just the whole shift, just make sure she doesn't do anything crazy. I was like, okay, are you going to pay me more for this? I'm like, no. Well, just do it. All right, you're the boss. So I do it. She goes into the pool. She's laying there on like one of those pool chairs. She's right by a shower, sprinkler head or whatever. And she keeps going on and on about how the water, when it touches her skin, it has like some type of like particles of disease that are making her skin sick. She's, she has skin so sensitive. And I'm like, just say that you're just getting ashy from the shower, man. Like water, people can get ashy from water sometimes. I, when I get, take a shower and I get out, I'm a little ashy. I mean, if I don't put on cocoa butter, I'm like Pookie from New Jack City. That's just, they say black don't crack, but it's really the lotion, man. Like, we should all put it on lotion. I mean, trust me, all, when you get out of shower, just take a, you know, put on some lotion. I mean, simply, Uncle Scott, you can turn into Uncle Ashy in a matter of minutes if you don't lotion up, man. But she just thought that the water has some type of particles, I'm like, and some type of thing that was giving her disease, and she was talking to me about, like, how she's trying to get some money wired to pay for her unit or whatever. And all this stuff about her daddy and all stuff like that. I was like, oh, just don't shoot yourself. I'm like, all right. Just don't do anything crazy. So I walk her from the pool up to her unit. And, and I thought that was it. But apparently she wanted me to walk inside, turn on all the water in her building, in her unit. Now, to describe her unit, her unit was empty as shit. Like, empty, empty. Like, when this bar closes, empty. Like, I stayed in trap houses in, like, Liberty City and Overtown, and that looked more furnished than her, than her unit. I mean, that's how much empty it was. And she had me turn on all the water in her bathtub, her sink, and just, for some reason, just fill up a jug of water. And she's like, look at all that, part, look at all that dirt, look at all that particles. I'm like, I know I got four eyes, but I'm seeing just water here. I'm seeing water here, here, here. Your water bill just went up in one night. Like, I'm just turning on all the water. There's not even a hurricane going on. And she's like, just look at all the water. See, don't you see all the parts? I'm like, 
You know, you can just clean your shower once in a while if you got a problem with how dirty the water is. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm turning on this water and I'm pouring all this water out. She gets naked right behind me. And before you all go, bow, bow, wow, nothing happened. And I'll tell you why nothing happened. Nothing good comes from being a black man associated with a crazy white woman. Ever. So that definitely ain't nothing going to happen. But she, like, goes, gets naked for some reason, puts on a white long T-shirt, and then she, like, needs me to, like, help her onto the bed. Help her, like, get on the bed for some reason because she just couldn't do it all herself for some reason. And I had to, like, tuck her in for some reason. And then, like, we just kept talking and talking. I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, ain't that crazy? Like, all right, all right. Like, and then, like, I like, got the hell out of there. And then I had to write my report, you know, write in all my long-ass report about what happened so I could tell management. And, then to, and it's, like, around, like, 9.45. I'm ready to go. It's, like, one, like an hour and 15 minutes before I had to go, go to leave work. Front desk calls me. It's like, what's going on? 10 on 1, she's about to kill herself. I was like, what? I was like, what? And like me and um, another officer, we rush up there expeditiously. You like that word? Expeditiously. We run up there expeditiously. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. And um, all of a sudden, she is not letting anybody in. She's going crazy. And I'm like, yo, see what's going on? I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. I'm blushing God everywhere. There's blood everywhere. Oh my God, I'm bleeding. Oh my God, I'm bleeding. Oh my God, my fucking realtor is a liar. He's a liar. My apartment's filthy. It's dirty. I was just like, God damn girl, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> calm down. Look, we'll call the paramedics. We just want to call the paramedics. Make sure you're all right. Just make sure this, they're not going to send you anywhere. They're not going to take you to the hospital. They just want to see how you are. No, no, my fucking bleeding everywhere. I'm bleeding everywhere. I fucking love. She said the same thing over and over and over on the loop. And I had to, like, get breakdown because, like, not because I was being empathetic. It's because I only have, like, 15 minutes left in my shift. All right, I can only be nice to these people for so long. So I'm like, okay, well, listen, look. I know you feel like you're cutting yourself. I know you're feeling suicide. Look, I've been there, okay? Truth be told, no, for real, for real, I've been there. I've been Baker acted twice, for real, for real. This whole arm, full of cuts, for real, for real. That real happened. And by the time I brought up that off stuff, like, that's when the paramedics came. That's when she finally opened the door. I was like, oh, thank God. Right on time, too. And I was like, oh, thank God. So we all go in. The other officer, the paramedics come in. They're checking her vitals out. Now, she imagined she bled everywhere. It was really just like a small little paper cut here. <laughs> Not that much at all. And she's, you know, fine T-shirt, panties. Don't, don't ask me. I just saw, okay? I saw things, okay? All right? I'm not a pervert. It's just, it's just things. You don't forget that shit. Let's just say that. And, um... The, I remember, I still, I'll never forget it. The paramedics were like checking her vitals and she was arguing with the paramedics like, like, you know, you have to go, you have to go with us. No, I don't want to go. You have to go. You know, I want to go. You have to go. I don't want to go. It went back and forth for like another 15 minutes. I was like, just go, mother, or stay or whatever. And they're like, okay, fine. We'll let you stay. But is there anyone that you feel safe around? Is there anyone that you can just stay with for the night? Uh, and she's just like in a really quiet, like childlike voice. Security, okay. And the paramedic's like, okay. Is there anyone in particular in security that you feel safe around? 
Well, he's big and he's black. Everyone slowly turns towards me. And they all just like one by one, including the other officers, like, good luck, buddy. I was like, and I had to play it off like, like you had to, like nothing happened. Like, hey, you've had a big day today, haven't you? Wow, you really had some kind of a day today, aren't you? And she's like, well, listen, I'm, I know I'm a lot, but like, you're the only one I can trust. I feel like I can talk to you. I can feel like I can really talk to you. And I don't want you to leave. And I was like, okay. So I sat on the edge of the bed. No, don't do the noise. Don't do the sound. It just, I sat on the edge of the bed like here and just, and just sat there and just talked to her all night. And as soon as she stopped talking to me about something, that's when I kind of like Michael Jackson moonwalked the fuck out of there, ran out, got out of my, clocked out, left, home, left the building, Went straight home, grabbed my dog, Aura, hugged her as tight as I fucking can, said, I love you. And she looked at me like, it's time to walk, bro. And then I just realized, sat in my bed, and I just thought to myself, you know what? This is where I really thought deep about shit. Is to really always embrace people who are in your life somehow. Embrace people who support you. Because sometimes when chips are down, you always want to have somebody, just at least one person there to say everything's gonna be okay. I mean, this chick probably got like a net worth more than I'll ever be worth in, in an entire lifetime. But yet, the fact that I was the only person at that night she can trust is just astounded me. So that goes to show you is that you can have all this, you can live this way, but if you ain't got people in your life to share your love with, it ain't, ain't worth shit, so that's my story. Get it for Mitch, ladies and gentlemen. Get it for Mitch. Almost forgot his beer. He wrapped that story up super nice after the worst moonwalk I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> How's everybody doing? All right, all right. I told, uh, I told this one back in February, not real well. I listened back to it, and I was like, oh, that sucked. And uh, I've been learning a lot doing this and I'm workshopping for a one-man show I'm eventually going to do. So I'm going to try this one again. I rearranged the shit out of it just about a day ago, so I'm cheating with a couple notes, but I guess I can get away with that. It's my damn night. So, And uh, if you guys are interested in these Uncle Scotchy hats, by the way, let me know, because they're all the rage. All the kids are wearing them. So uh, I'm going to go back and tell the original story that actually I started this whole thing with when uh, Danny was here on the very, very first, what month was that? Do you remember what month that was? Yeah, it was like in the middle of when everybody was scared to open their doors and windows and all that shit. But uh, I want to tell this story about my folks. Nobody's born a blues man, okay? You don't just pop out of your mom with sunglasses on and a cigarette hanging out of your mouth. You got to earn it. The hard way, unfortunately. Um, I am what I consider to be a modern-day blues man, meaning I don't have the experiences that traditional or stereotypical bluesmen have had. I've never waited in a train station for my baby to show up, and she doesn't for one reason or another. Um, 
I've never fortunately had to work the fields or the plantations or anything like that. I mean, I'm half Cuban. I'm far more qualified to discuss platanos than plantations, for sure. But I've been through some shit. I've got some stories. I've done the work, and I can play. I can play. And much like the late, great Robert Johnson, he used to sing about having a hellhound on his trail. Well, me, me and my family, we've got a demon, for sure. But I'll go back to the demon. Either way, I can't see a goddamn thing with this rain on my face. Either way, nobody's born a blues man. But a Jew man, or Juban, which is what I am, is something that you have to be born. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, Cuban Jews or Jubans are a group of people that are mostly indigenous to the South Florida area, and uh, you'll find us sprinkled around the world. On uh, the day I was born, my Jewish grandfather, Mo, uh, this is a great name for a Jewish grandfather. They don't make Mo's anymore. I've never met a young person named Mo. Uh, <laughs> right? Mo said to my f Cuban father in the, in the hospital, oh, we got a little Jew band. He'll either steal it or buy it wholesale. Which is, uh, it was a different time, for sure. Um, a lot had to happen for this Juban to become a blues man. For when I think about just the odds of my parents even meeting, let alone having me, it blows my fucking mind. My father sold my mother a car. That's how they met. It was a 1966 Ford Mustang. It was a fastback and it was powder blue. And every time he used to tell the story about it, he would always go, uh, it's a good thing I gave her a good deal because I wanted to have him to pick up the payments, and which is true. <laughs> Indeed, he did. One day I went up to my dad. I was like, Dad, I guess I'm a Ford kid because if Mom likes Chevy, I wouldn't even be born. And uh, that's when he told me that uh, she actually almost bought a Volvo instead. So Sweden almost took me out before I was even around. And then I was like, what kind of a person... Almost buys a Volvo, and then they turn around and buy a Ford Mustang Fastback, and I'm like, oh, my, my mother. That's exactly the kind of person that would do something like that. So a debate started that day that they met, and he sold her that car. It raged on for the rest of their lives until the day they died. It never, never was settled. See, my mom left this little green umbrella in my, mom, in my dad's office, and my dad always said, that she left it on purpose so she, he would have to come back and talk to him again without her father being there, giving her an opportunity, him an opportunity to ask her on a date. The perfect crime. And my father, I'll have you know, I mean, my mother, she was the most honest person I've ever met in my life by a lot. And she swore that she just left it by accident. But... I got money on my pop on this one for sure. There's some, there's, some, there's some stories, there's some things that a lady's got to go to her grave with, and that's one that she did. So they started going out. and Actually, either way, if you think about it, here we are because of that green umbrella. If it wasn't for that green umbrella, we wouldn't all be here. So ladies and gentlemen, give it for that green umbrella because no, no, none of this shit, we wouldn't be here without this fucking green umbrella. She just would have left, that would have been into that. 
So they started going out. The little Jewish girl from Miami, as they used to say, started going out with a Cuban car salesman who she used to describe him at the time with his wry smile. She would say he was wild and woolly, which, what does that mean? I don't want to ever know what my mom meant by saying that my father was wild and woolly, but I guess that was a thing that she liked. Ugh, God damn it. That fucking smile, too. They had one thing in common, though. They both loved to dance. So my mother used to be a professional ballet dancer. My father, well, he knew how to dance like a good Cuban boy should. So he started taking her to these little Latin clubs that were opening up around Miami. And he did the smoothest shit in the world. He used to take her, and he would whisper in her ear, and he would translate the words of the song that they were dancing to in real time as they were dancing to the song. Fuck, dude. She didn't have a fucking chance, right? Needless to say, my mother's very strict Jewish Russian Jew family was not stoked about her dating one of these new Cubans that just showed up in Miami. And um, and he won them over. They loved him after a while. He's what he used to call the Garcia charm. And he won them all over. But they weren't happy at first. And, and, and they couldn't have been surprised at the same time because she was always the black sheep of the family. She, was, uh, she never really... She wasn't into being Jewish. She was, didn't observe the religion. Uh, as soon as she graduated from Miami High in 1959, she fucked off and moved to New York to be a professional ballet dancer. That was her thing. And she got some work, but being five feet tall with boobs and hips... A little tough, a little tough. But she carved out three years to marry a Bulgarian artist who was 25 years older than her, apparently. And uh, she always said, she never said anything bad about it. She said it was a great experience. He was super nice and he was sweet and he taught her tons about art and culture, which proved to be true because she wanted to be an art gallery owner in Miami. Art was her life. Other than me and my father, that was the love of her life, was art. And she became a big part of the Miami art scene, which is really cool. Uh, my father, on the other hand, he's come dirt poor from Havana, raised by a single mother. His brother committed suicide. And um, when he was 17, uh, they realized that Castro was coming into power, and they got him out. Uh, they found a sponsor family in New York. They sent him up there to New York, and he got there. And apparently, for some reason or another, the family didn't really want him. So there he was, 17 years old, in New York City, not speaking a lick of English, and it was all by himself. So if nothing else, he was a super hard worker. And um, he got a job as in a factory at a bookbinding factory. That was a thing people apparently did in 1950 when he moved there. He was a bookbinder. And uh, he used to threaten me with this shit whenever I would fuck around and just be a brat. He'd be like, you better get your shit together, otherwise I'm going to send you to work at the fucking factory. I was like, oh, shit, not the factory. I thought that was like a thing that would happen. I'm like, oh, my God. What would my friends think, first of all? Holy fuck. And then one day he said that to me. I look at him I'm like, Dad, what factory? We live in the Gables. You're not going to send me to a factory, you know? And then, like, the spell was broken, you know? He never said that shit to me again. I could tell by the look on his face. So in the day, he worked at the fucking factory. And at, and at night, he went to night school to learn English. And on the weekends, he would go chasing skirts and go dancing, basically. And let me preface this. My father 
was a very good father, a very good role model. He taught me to respect everyone. He taught me to respect women. He taught me to respect other races. He taught me to stand up for myself no matter what. If I did what I was doing, I thought was right. But at the time, I don't think he was a good person at all. He was, uh, I heard a lot of stories from his friend Fofo that was also from, yeah, Fofo was his best friend. They moved over here. He brought him down to, to sell cars with him. And uh, they would talk story. He was punching everybody. He was getting in fights. I'm like, Jesus, Dad, what the fuck? Who didn't you punch? He punched a cop and got away with it. I understand that shit. Yeah, an Irish cop in New York. And um, that and the last few years of his life, I had to bathe him every day. So the bathroom became kind of a confessional, and I would sit there with him, and he would just tell me things that he never would have told me before. He'd be like, Eric, I was a bad person, Eric, God damn it. I used to do horrible things. It was, it was your mother that made me a good person. I had to be good for her. And he told me some terrible shit. Plus, apparently he had a family. He met a woman, and he had a son and a daughter that I've never met. And um, apparently she was an evil woman. And I respected his wishes. I never, I, I used to want to find them, but I didn't. I respected his wishes. Um, so when he came up with some fucking story about leaving New York, there was a snowstorm, and he was, like, racing an old woman to a phone booth, and he threw her on the ground, and he had a moment of self-awareness that he's becoming an animal, and he had to move to Miami and get out of the cold. That's all bullshit. Yeah. Every time I hear him telling this story, I'm like, that was such bullshit. He needed to get away. He had to make a new start. So in 1960, he moved to Miami, now, Miami in 1960 was all good old boys. Logistically and culturally, this is the South. And uh, the hard worker he was, he got a job as a car salesman, which is a very good old boy industry. But I guess he used the Garcia charm, and he spoke some good English, and, the, and he got the job. So the guy that trained him liked him a lot, and he taught him the right way to sell cars. So he learned every little detail he could about every unit that he sold. So that if anybody asked any questions, he knew the answer like a fucking professional. And he took care of his customers. He worked for Ford, Chevy, Buick, uh, Mazda, Cadillac, and then the last 20 years of his life or his career, he sold Mercedes, which he was very proud of. And he had customers that would come back to him every year. They knew they were spending more money with my father, but they knew they were being taken care of, you know. And when he was working for Mazda, he was a manager, and he told me he, he hired the first black car salesman in Miami. And he got a lot of pushback from the owners. And, but he stuck up for him. He said uh, he trained him. He put his name on the line, and the guy wound up being the number one salesman in the dealership, which is really cool. Yeah, that's a cool story. It's a great story. I'm not sure the story's true. <laughs> anymore because over the years his stories all the details started changing facts started changing and I never corrected him because he's my father I love him I'm not going to do that I'm not going to correct his stories but he reminded me of as the movie we were discussing earlier a big fish Albert Finney's character uh, he used to tell impossible stories about crazy people doing amazing things all the time and I always thought, I always hoped that the day he died would be like at the end of Big Fish when they brought him to the river. 
and all these people showed up from his stories to pay their respects. But there was no beautiful two-headed Siamese woman. There was no giant. Danny DeVito wasn't there. <laughs> you ran the circus, remember? It was just my dad as I found him on a Tuesday morning in bed, staring at the ceiling, dead. And same thing as my mother. She died on a Tuesday morning as well. But late at night in the ICU at South Miami Hospital with only me by her side. And the funny thing is they almost fucking had it. They had it. They beat the odds. Coming from different places, they were doing so well. By like the year 2000, they had bought a condo in Panama they were going to retire to. They were taking tango lessons. And they were freaking hilarious. They were like, I Love Lucy. I used to compare them to I Love Lucy all the time. I actually wrote a play about them in, in, in college. And um, my mother, Sandy Garcia, she was like Lucille Ball. You know, a little spitfire of a woman. Like the only thing bigger than her mouth was her heart. And my father, Victor Garcia, who just was a smooth Cuban who just loved the shit out of his wife, even though she drove him fucking nuts. If I had a dollar every time he yelled, I, Sandy, or God damn it, Sandy. I'd be fucking rich. I'd buy this place from Ben, and then I'd sell it back to Ben, probably. <laughs> but that's when the demon crept in. It's a very silent, sneaky thing. She fell on her little bike one day, and she shattered her elbow. And it didn't heal right. Atrophy set in. She was left-handed, and she could only move her fingers. And then shortly after that, she developed a bacteria that lived in her stomach called H. pylori. And she couldn't really keep her food down, and her skin was hanging off of her bones. Now, I had been living in San Diego for eight years, eight of the best years of my life. But when I got the call that my mother was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's at the age of 59, I knew I had to come home. I can't stay there surfing, having a good time, hanging out with my friends, playing music. I used to joke around that I wish I could rent a brother or sister to come and take care of these duties for me, but it doesn't work like that, does it? My mother passed on February 16th of 09, complications from Alzheimer's. Um, my dad was broken. The whole process going through, I, I recounted that in another story. I can't believe he made it as long as he did because he's one of those old fucking tough Cuban guys that's just too tough to die. He just kind of kept on as his health deteriorated. And he finally died on July 3rd of 2019. And then, and then, I was alone. And one thing I never saw coming or never accounted for was how hard it would be not to have anybody to take care of. It was weird. It fucked me up. ate me up. I almost didn't have an identity. I didn't know who I was anymore. I was a mess. And all I had was my blues, my songs, my little dog, and my demon. That was my burden. A couple months after my dad passed, the girl, my girlfriend at the time that I was living with, she left. I found out she was cheating on me. 
And apparently I was too distracted by the whole dead dad thing to fucking really see the signs. And uh, she left. And shortly after that was the holidays. And it was the first holiday I was truly, truly alone through that season. Shortly after that, spoiler alert, there was a pandemic. And uh, I don't know if you guys heard. And being a musician and an event coordinator, I realized that everything that I did for a living was based on people congregating. And congregation business was really, really bad. Really bad. Um, So I was literally stuck at home, sleeping with my demon. It was a bad time for me. And I had to fight. I had to figure out a way to fight. Um, That's when I fell into storytelling. I started listening to stories and got into storytelling. Because I started thinking to myself, what currency does a demon deal with? Darkness and lies. Storytelling was the opposite. My parents were remarkable people that died very unremarkably. I had to find a way to shine light on that. I had to spotlight my parents and their stories and my stories. And I fell into that, and that really helped a lot. What I realized was that if you tell the truth, I weaponized the truth is what happened. And I realized that um, the demon, he loses power if you have nothing to hide. And because there's nothing else that I would want more than to leave this world one day when I do, knowing that my mother and my father are proud of me. And I would know that I'm a true blues man and that I slayed the demon that haunted my family and I died with a heart of gold. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out, ladies and gentlemen, for Mitch's story and my story. Ladies and gentlemen, I really do appreciate that. Carly couldn't make it tonight, but um, she'll be back. And um, thanks for everybody that's been coming around, that's been a part of the storytelling night. We have some regulars that aren't even here tonight, but it's it's been a cool thing. uh, I've been remarkably, because this is that, uh, like, at first I was like, oh shit, I get to wear pants on Wednesdays. And uh, now it's kind of a thing, so it's really cool. So the first night that I ever did this, I called this guy up. I know from around, and um, we used to do, I had you over at Winwood Yard to do that thing when you were getting going. <laughs> that wasn't bad, that was cool. No, you thought it was bad? I liked it. Doesn't matter, fuck you. What I like. Anyway. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this guy is awesome, and I've been watching his uh, career get better, and I've been watching his funding develop, and it's been really cool. And uh, just, he's one of these guys that I've never, I run into him all the time. We kind of know a lot of the same people, and it never sucks to run into him. So, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the great Danny Benavente. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Eric. Hey, give it up for all the other storytellers, guys. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, that Winwood Yard thing was. Um, it was. It was. It was uh, like um, I do stand-up comedy, and um, Winwood Yard was like one of the first places that which every single place is doing now. It's like the Oasis. They have a bar in the center, and then they have a bunch of um, like little food trucks around the around the, the side. And we tried doing, or I tried doing stand-up comedy there in, uh, like, outside. And it's a very um, family-friendly place, okay? And um, doing stand-up and talking about what you do in stand-up are, like, I mean, most comedians, like, talk about their dicks, and they talk about, (laughs) you know, they, they do. Yeah, and, like, embarrassing shit. And I learned very hard that day that no matter if you're like, you know, Chris Rock or Chappelle, uh, if there's a dog or a child running around, they're going to have more attention than you will ever have, uh, ever in, in, in uh, stand-up. And I remember that shit, like, it was yesterday. And Eric was like, no, that was fun. And I'm like, that was brutal for me. <laughs> truly, truly brutal. But, like, that's what I really wanted to... Um, talk about tonight uh, was just being embarrassed and uh, I mean everyone here has felt embarrassed at least you know a thousand times um, growing up like everyone like we all have I mean being embarrassed is an involuntary feeling you know you know when you're embarrassed you like you you either like turn red or something happens Uh, it's like you either you know want to crawl up in a ball and die or you you know you just call yourself stupid a few times you know um, but that's what I wanted to talk about. I mean, I mean, doing stand-up is, it's, it's really, really, when you first start, it's embarrassing. It really is, because uh, you feel like if you know something's funny and you have, um, if you go up in front of people and you say something that you think is funny and it's not, and nobody laughs at it, uh, that's embarrassing. And I've gone through that a thousand million, million, million times. Like, like more than anyone should feel embarrassed about. Um, and that's happening right now. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> no, but um, I wanted to just talk about embarrassment for a long time because that's what I, I, I feel like how we are at at its core. Like that's how we are, you know, that's what a person's character is and how you react to embarrassment. Um, this beer is good. And th- give it up for the bar staff as well, guys. Um, embarrass- you should always, I, I feel like you should always embrace embarrassment because we live um, right now where everyone, like everywhere, everywhere in like social media, um, everyone puts up shit that makes them seem cool. And nobody's that cool in, 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 that, in real life. You know, we go through embarrassing shit every single day, but like the only way we communicate with people is just what we see in our phones. And I'm super guilty of doing that. Um, I put, like, what I think is cool and what makes me look cool in on, on Instagram and, like, fucking all that bullshit. But um, I had a few stories um, that I wanted to talk about. And this story actually happened, um, I don't know, maybe a few days ago where I felt embarrassed. And um, it's funny because it's, 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 uh, I'll never, like, see this woman or, like, even hear from her ever again. But the story goes like this. Um... I had a, an apartment with this with this girl that I was dating, and we broke up, okay, and we bought a couch together, and it was a nice couch, 
it was so nice that I'm still paying for it. Like, that's how nice, that's how nice this couch is. Um, and we have, like, there was a warranty where you could, uh, it was at least three years where you could, like, um, they would come by and they would pay for whatever, um, like, if you got it dirty, okay. And uh, I, I mean, we went through the, the, the whole COVID thing and um, we, we, we really stuck it out for almost three years, okay. But when she would get mad, uh, she would throw things at me, all right. And um, one of those things was uh, glasses of wine. And so, yeah, and we even got a, a fucking little dumb dog together. Uh, and the dog's not dumb. I mean, I miss that stupid fucking dog so much. I miss that dog more than I miss the girl. Like, yeah. And um, we named him Leon because of The Professional. I don't know if you guys remember this movie. It's called The Professional with, uh, yeah. And he was a wiener dog, okay? One of the cutest little wiener dogs you've ever seen. And um, we never got him neutered, okay? So we have a really nice couch with an unneutered dog. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys know this, because I didn't know anything about dogs. Um, dogs have a little thing called schmegma, which, which means like pre-cum, basically. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and since this, <laughs> since this dog is so low to the ground, its dick just drags, okay? And it always has cum on it. And it would, like, it would always be on the couch. Like, my girlfriend would love for that dog to sleep with us. Like, it would, it would be everywhere. Not like that, you weirdo. <laughs> and, uh, like, the dog would always be on the couch, Okay. And um, it would drag its dick on the couch, and the, it would have little dots on there, all right? Like little white stains. I'm not kidding. Like, this is all real. <laughs> and um, it was called Schmegma. And uh, we broke up, and everything's been, it's been over now. And a few days ago, I call to, you know, get this warranty. I'm like, hey, um, I need to have my couch cleaned. And, she, and this woman's like, um, sure, absolutely. Can you describe the stains? And... <laughs> And I'm like, absolutely. Um, there are little white stains um, everywhere. And, uh, and then I, I stopped right there because I, I, I heard myself talking. And then I said, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's from a dog that I used to have. It's from a dog I used to have, which sounds like a lie, you know. And I'm like, but now I don't have said dog. And she goes, okay, uh, and where, where on the couch is it? I'm like, it's everywhere. <laughs> she goes, little white stains everywhere. I go, yeah. And she goes, okay, um, is there any other type of stains that you have? And, and I thought about my girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, she used to throw wine at me. So I'm like, there's, there's, red, there's red stains as well. <laughs> and now this woman thinks I'm having eyes wide shut parties with homosexuals. <laughs> And I said that, and I felt very embarrassed for myself. And this woman's like, all right, is that it? Like, is there more? <laughs> and I go, no, those are, those are basically all the stains on the couch. And she goes, all right, we'll be over by, like around Thursday. I go, thank you so much. And I hung up, and I just was overwhelmed with uh, thinking this woman was going to walk into like a, you know, a 48 and, you know, uh, what was that show called? Uh, another 48? Yeah, so these guys are coming over tomorrow. 
and they're going to fucking basically see a crime scene um, <laughs> on my couch. But I don't know why I felt that way because, um, like, shit, like, like, I, like I said, I'll never see this woman again, and I don't know where that came from. And another, the second story is, that was the first story, but, like, um, I don't know why I always, I'm, I'm very easily embarrassed. And um, it came, I don't know where it came from, but, like, I remember when I was a young, a young kid, um, both of my parents are Hispanic, by the way. Uh, they're both Nicaraguan. Um, and we moved to uh, Wisconsin uh, before I was born because uh, in Nicaragua, I mean, there's still shit going on there with uh, Daniel Ortega, and he's a, being a real dick right now. And he's, he's a huge communist. And my dad's like, I don't want my kids to be around this shit, and I'm going to take my kids to uh, Wisconsin for some fucking reason. And that's fine. I mean, it's better than Nicaragua, like right now, because here I am in Miami telling you guys uh, my dog's dick stories right now. And um, I remember uh, just growing up, and um, I don't know if you guys, when, when your mom would take you to stores, I mean, we, I would wander off, you know. It was, still, it was still cool to wander off from your mom, like in a Kmart. Um, especially in Wisconsin, like no one was going to kidnap you. I mean, you could have been kidnapped, but like I, I looked like a little dickhead. So like I was not in like in the eyesight of uh, pedophiles. <laughs> I mean, I could have. I was a cute kid. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I was cute enough for child abuse. Um, but no, um. I had two other brothers, and um, they never they were, they were never abused. Thank God for that. And um, but the thing was, my mom would always. Uh, I mean, we would go to Walmart and Kmart, and we would just go our separate ways. I would like, you know, just just walk around. And um, I always, I'll never forget this shit. Is when I was, you know, just balls deep in a magazine, just like just reading. Like I think it was like called Gamer Pro or something. I was just reading about like whatever, and then all of a sudden I heard my name over the PA being like, Daniel Benavente, please come to the front. Your mom is waiting for you. And I got incredibly embarrassed because for some reason I thought that everyone knew who I was. Like, I was popular. <laughs> They're like, do you hear Danny? He's fucking, he's lost again. He's, he's sniffing women's panties again. <laughs> and I got super embarrassed about that shit. And, um, and I don't know for what reason. I got really mad at my mom, and I remember always fighting with her because of that reason, and that she would call me, and she wouldn't even look for me. She would just, like, I mean, that was the smartest thing to do, just call over the person. over. Like, she would be like, my child is missing. And then they would be like, Danny, please come. And I'm like, oh, absolutely, yeah. And I would take my sweet time because I was so mad. But I would I always think about, like, if this happened now, and, like, if, if I was that popular and Twitter was around, and be like, if my friends were like, Danny's missing again at Walmart, you know? <laughs> if they tweeted it like, busted with panties again. I'm so happy that I grew up at the time I did where I didn't have to, like, just hear all the shit on social media. Like, I'm very happy that it, like, because it's way more embarrassing now because everyone has a fucking cell phone where you can just click, and a lot of embarrassing shit happens. Everyone's hashtagging cringe Everyone's hashtagging a bunch of stupid shit. Um, 
So I'm happy that like I went through that shit, just being embarrassed just by like my close group of friends. But probably um, one of the biggest embarrassments um, that I went through is um, one of the first times uh, I got caught drinking, okay? Uh, I was with my brother, and we took a, our first family trip to uh, Mexico. We went to Mexico City, and I was going to be a senior in high school, I think. No, 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 it was way before that. I was, uh, I, I, I was going to be a freshman in high school, okay? This is how young I was, and um, this is how much I looked forward to drinking. I don't know why. Because, like, it just, it, like, drinking just, just, I mean, I, it's the greatest thing in the world to me, but it's also the worst thing in the world to me. I think we all can agree on that. Yeah, it is the solution and the problem to everything. <laughs> but uh, I'll take a drink to that, by the way. So, um, yeah, so um, we go visit my mom's uh, brother's family. Yeah, uh, my mom's the oldest one of the whole group, and we went to go visit my uncle. And my uncle was a stereotypical Hispanic man, you know, two families, um, like has a wife, kid, um, has one daughter, one, um, one son, which are my, my cousins. And I have way more cousins that I ever knew that live in Mexico. Like, I had no idea I had so many cousins, Right. Because everyone fucks. That's all they had. I mean, now that we have the internet, I mean, we're fucking way more. But, like, before we even had the internet, that's all people did was just, like, hey, we have nothing else. I mean, we don't have anything. Like, we're just going to fuck. So, again, every single family, everyone, at least in my family, has averaged two families. Okay? All my uncles have, you know, two separate families. Everyone. Everyone. I mean, that's the way it is. Yeah. And so we go to uh, my uncle's house. And um, I wish I was, like, saying more details, but, man, this was such a long, long time ago. And um, so we go there, and it's the last night, the last night that we're there. And my brother's like, hey, we're going to sneak out, and we're going to go drinking. I'm like, cool. Drink what? You know? He's like, we're going to drink alcohol. And, we're gonna, and, like, they lived in, like, a really, because my, my, my uncle is a, a doctor over there, um, which is not that uh, impressive in America. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. But like, no. So he's a doctor in Mexico, and they live in a cul-de-sac that's like cut off, all right? Like it's a nice part of Mexico City. So it, it's a little suburb, and um, my brother's like, we're going to go to sleep, and we're going to wake up, and we're all going to sneak out, and we're going to go to this other guy's house, again, my cousin, and we're all going to drink. I'm like, cool. So um, we go there. We start partying, and um, I'm having the best time of my life. Like, I, like, I've never seen so many women, like, laughing and, like, dancing in my entire life. You know, I'm just a kid. I don't know what, like, what uh, to expect. Like, I, 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 vivid, I vividly remember just everyone having a great time just drinking this substance. And it was, like, shots, booze, everything. I felt myself getting dizzy. I just remember just having the best time of my life. And that was followed by the worst. Uh, as soon as uh, I, 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 like, I was like feeling the best, I was talking to this girl. I see my cousin running. He's like, they know, they know they're coming here right now. Yeah. And this was like maybe like 1.30 in the morning. And I'll never forget this. Um, I see my dad. And my dad is a little shorter than I am. His name's Jorge. 
and he's like a stocky motherfucker. And I have to explain, um, I snuck out with my other brother, all right? So I have two. I snuck out with my other older brother, uh, Jorge. And Jorge is, um, he was a varsity athlete, okay? He was an all-American linebacker. Like, he, he did everything. Like, he was the opposite of me in a, in a way. Like, he, he got all the girls. He was actually banging girls in my grade, all right? He was two years older than I was. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I have to explain that because he was always the cooler guy out of, like, the entire family. He was the athletic one, the ladies' man. He, you know, he has a, a wife and kids. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure he has another family somewhere. Um, but he was, like, the, like the, the coolest like the coolest brother you could ever possibly ask for, but he was a fucking meathead, okay? He, he was also a jock. And uh, I was a stoner, and I was just going into, uh, like, to be a freshman. So fast forward, backstory, my dad comes, my dad sees us, and he lines us up, okay? He lines every single one of my cousins out in front of the house that we're partying, and all the men, all right? And then I see my mom, and she is bawling, you know, she, 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 she's crying and knows that we were drinking and God knows who, what the fuck else. We were all fucking taking pictures, but we weren't taking pictures on our phone. We were taking pictures on like these little, you know, disposable cameras, right? And he like takes, the, he takes like all these, uh, like he took the, the camera in my hand. He took my brother's camera out of my hand as well. And um, he just comes up to me and he, he doesn't say a word, but he comes like within, you know, an inch of my face. Doesn't say a word and just takes a big whiff. And he smells my breath. And obviously it smells like fucking Smirnoff ice. I don't know what I was drinking. It was something like disgusting. And I'm just sitting there like. Comes up to here. I'm just like all of a sudden got sober. Smells me. He turns back. And just fucking clocks me. My mom's like, oh my God, no. I fucking fly 10 feet in the air. I fucking, I'm pretty sure I hit the house. But yeah, it was like a fucking uppercut. I don't know what it was. But he smacked me so fucking hard that I went flying. And I'm like on the ground. I'm crying like a bitch. Okay. And I'm, I'm still kind of drunk, so I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And since we're all in, in a line, uh, he goes to my older brother, and my older brother is standing there like a fucking soldier, all right? Like, he's been there because my dad used to hit us a lot, okay? But never with, like, a fist. He'd always have, like, a belt or, like, give us a little bow-bow. That was it, you know? <laughs> and um, this was, like, this is the first time I ever got hit by my dad, and so I'm kind of curious now because I look at Jorge, like my older brother, he's just sitting there like this. And he's gotten like the, 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 like the, bunt, like the blunt of like all the hits. Like he was the one that got hit the most. I got hit the least. And my little brother, he never got hit. Um, so it's Jorge's turn. And my dad goes up to him and he does the same thing. He just comes up to him, smells his breath, does the same thing, winds back and clocks him. Jorge doesn't move a fucking inch. She took that hit like a fucking man, like, a, like, a, like how men take hits. Like if you're supposed to get hit, like he went like. 
And I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm such not a man right now. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'll never be a dude. And my dad, like as soon as he hit like my older brother Jorge, he like kind of respected him more. And he's like, all right, that's a Benevent day. Like that's what it should have happened. And I'm just like, you know, you know, just, just picking all my feces that I shed out from, <laughs> from just getting hit. And um, like after that, like my mom just, just straight up crying. And I see my little brother. He's in the way back. He, he was probably like nine. And he's laughing his ass off. Yeah. And um, before I came up here, uh, I, was, I was like, man, what kind of story should I say? And I'm like, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the, the first night I went drinking. And then my little brother goes, oh, you mean the greatest day of my life? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that day. <laughs> and not only that, but um, after that, uh, there was, I don't know who took this picture, but we're all in the airport. I'm wearing shades because there's clearly a black eye. And I'm just sitting there sad. And then my other brother's right next to me. He's reading a newspaper, and he looks up. I look up, and my dad's next to us, and we all look at the camera, and we all look like we've just seen, like, people die. And then my little brother's in the background giving us bunny ears like this. And uh, he just sent me that photo just now, okay? And um, that's not the end of the story. So it, it like, so... Um, a few weeks later, after that all happened, after, you know, that huge thing where we, all that happened, my dad goes to uh, Walmart to develop some pictures, okay? The pictures that we had in the disposable camera. And my cousin thought it would be funny. And my cousin's maybe 13, 14 years old. Uh, he thought it would be funny to take pictures of his dick when, um, yeah. And back in the day, you had to go to somewhere to get your film developed. <laughs> so, my dad and I go to Walmart, you know, weeks later, just to, and, <laughs> and I'll never, like, he looked like he saw, like, 18 ghosts. Because there was a cop there. And he's like, Danny, he's like, do you know what the fuck I just had to go through? I'm like, what? He's like, there's pictures of small dicks. I'm like, what? He's like, small dicks. And they asked me a bunch of questions. Because I went in there, I'm like, damn, dad, you must be embarrassed as fuck, aren't you? <laughs> He's like, you're grounded forever. But uh, I'm super happy that you guys let me tell these stories. I'm sorry it's not longer, but uh, I appreciate Eric. Um, listen, listen, um, yeah, um, I remember, I remember specifically the phone call when you gave me. Uh, it was still, like, we, like, I was in Wisconsin not talking to anyone, and Eric's like, yo, I got these fucked up stories about my dad and everything that happened. I'm like, write them all down. Write them all down. That's, I remember specifically, specifically saying, just write all this shit down. And this is 31 shows later. So I tip my hat to Eric that this shit's been going on. Um, thank you very much, guys. Have a good night. Give it for Danny Benamente, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I hit him up. He's the first guy I called when I started doing this shit. And uh, 
I sent him, he said, write this shit down, write your story notes down. And then I wrote all this shit. He's like, yeah, that's way too many fucking notes. And, uh, but he was the inspiration for the whole thing. So next thing you know, he's talking about schmegma, red wine, and then he's getting beat up by his family. So, uh, get up for all the storytellers tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I really, really appreciate it. Go to UncleScotchy.com and check out the podcast. Uh, you can sit around and listen to 31 <laughs> episodes of this shit. And um, but just, I just appreciate this whole thing and, and, and giving me a purpose during this whole time. You guys heard my story, and there's some other ones. And so just but like people like Mitch has come in and, and just like he's taking pictures. He goes down the street, comes and fills in. Danny from the beginning. Fucking Carly, good for her. I mean, I can't wait for her to come back. I, 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 it sucks that she wasn't able to be here tonight, but she's awesome as fuck. I've met so many people that I never would have met through doing this, and uh, it's... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you fuckers are coming back really soon, so hope to see you guys soon. Thanks for hanging out, ladies and gentlemen. See you guys next week. Thanks, Flex, for doing sound tonight, filling in for Julio. The great Flex, ladies and gentlemen.